Welcome to Your Parenting is Showing, a podcast about what happens when your nice, smooth, professional front is upended by your parenting backstage in pandemic time. Where two so-called experts bring their friends on to talk about their own pandemic parenting wins and blunders, highs and lows, or as we used to say when our kids were little, popsicles and poopsicles. I'm Ellen. I'm a child psychologist in Boston. And I'm Molly, a local church pastor in Berkeley, California. And together we wrote a parenting book aiming to blend the best of child psychological science with a progressive Christian wisdom. To guide our parenting on both the easy days and the really, really messy ones, from toddler to teen and beyond. Hey, everybody, and welcome to our new episode of Your Parenting is Showing. We're here today with Amelia Richardson-Dress, author of the new The Hopeful Family, Raising Resilient Children in Uncertain Times. There has been perhaps no more uncertain time in the time we're living in, so we're thrilled to have her with us. Um, Amelia is an ordained minister in the United Church of Christ, serving um, a church in Longmont, Colorado. She's also a wife and a mother to one 13-year-old daughter and three as she calls them, unparentable cats. We'll hear more about that, I'm sure. Amelia, we're so happy to have you with us today. Talk about Thank parenting in the pandemic. I'm so happy to be here. I had a whole celebrity moment that I got to see your faces and talk <laughs> with you both. So this is great. And all of our backstage. Amelia's at work today. She's she's looking extremely professional. Ellen and I are just being our, our backstagey selves. I'm fresh off my workout. So we got a little bit of everything, the, the front stage and the backstage of what it is to be a working parent in these times. Amelia. Thanks for joining us, Amelia. Yeah, I'm glad to be here. Emily, you've just written a book about how spirituality can support resilience in our kids and others. Tell us more because we need to know here in month 11 of, of COVID, you know, we think we're at the beginning of the end, but, you know, maybe we're at the end of the beginning. We just don't know. Yeah, I'm feeling that too. And when I wrote this, it was last spring, just when the pandemic was beginning. Uh, it was not originally intended to be a pandemic book. The idea came about as I was doing reflecting with parents and kids about um, just kind of other uncertainties of our times, eco-anxiety, um, safety issues around school and gun violence and um, racial justice things. So all of these things that have been percolating for a long time and, and the book went under contract just as the pandemic hit. And so then, then it was like, oh, well, now, now I get to live this <laughs> and see what this is really like. Stress test. Yeah. It was like a little lab for spiritual practices and uncertainty. And does this really work? And there are moments when I was like, I should not be writing about this. <laughs> like, How do you say that? Well, more just, I mean... More just that it's you're you're never parenting perfectly. So even though I really believe this and we are doing everything we can at home, you know, just because I'm a pastor does not mean that I am always as spiritual as I would like to be. So well, that's why you're here on our podcast. That is exactly what we're all about. That's why I'm yes. And as one pastor to another, you know, I think it's so important for people to hear that we have feet of clay. Um, 
so that they can't other us, that they can't put us on a pedestal and say, well, of course, Amelia is going to be great at that because she's a professional Christian, you know? Um, you know, we're all trying to get people to reach for something a little deeper in themselves and also forgive themselves when they do mess up. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think you said in the introduction, Amelia, that we're building the we're building the plane as we're flying it a bit in parenting during COVID. And that's true for all of the experts, whether it's spiritual advisors and leaders or child psychologists or adult mental health professionals, none of us have been through a pandemic before. Um, and so we just have to use the tools that we know maybe have been effective in the past. And that's what I really loved about the book was that it's so based in spiritual practices um, that have been helpful in other times of challenge. And we just have to test them out in this new experience. And it's so good to have the voice of someone like you out there from the very beginning, right out of the gate. Thanks. And, and that I would say was the gift of it, of like, there's so much that I don't know and so much in, in general that parents don't know, but we can return to what we do know and let that be our, our grounding place. So yes. that, was, that was the gift for me of, of writing this during this time. Amelia, I was so happy that you put a chapter in there on forgiveness um, and the importance of repair work after conflict, how to help our kids do this, how to model it ourselves. Um, because, you know, we are in lockdown to one degree or another. We have been for a long time. Parents have been forced into multiple roles with their kids. Um, kids are under stress. Stress often flares as anger, anxiety, um, tears, <laughs> you know, fighting. You know, um, so, you know, probably a lot of us are fighting a lot more and, and our families require a lot more repair work. Can you, can you talk about a typical fight in quarantine. Maybe um, you can use, use an example from your own family or, or just one you've created in your own mind or, or maybe something from the families you work with in your church. Yeah. I, when I talk about repair work with families, it's, I've, it's sometimes easier to start with like younger kids because so much of what they're struggling with is more, it's hands-on. So, you know, it's like the classic two siblings are fighting because somebody broke somebody else's Lego castle. And so, so rather than rushing right to like, say you're sorry, um, you can shift that and focus on like, how can we help, you know, and, and coach hopefully so that it becomes like, oh, I could help rebuild the castle. Um, and, and then when you start from that framework, you're working into the ability to do more complicated repair work, um, which is definitely where we are at you know, with an older child and an only child. So her conflict, she doesn't have siblings. She's arguing with, she's, we are, mm. yes. We get you're, you're the only punching bag time. around. <laughs> Ooh, you're, you have an extra, an extra role in pandemic. <laughs> that's right. That's right. And it's been fascinating sometimes. I mean, there's been times where it's very clear that what has happened is, one or the other of us as parents has become the sibling <laughs> you, just in, not in like our own picking on her, but her need to kind of bounce up against somebody. Yeah. yeah her need to let off some steam, right? Yeah. We all need to let off steam at points right now. 
Yeah. Uh, you know, hearing you talk about the repair work um, reminds me that it, it takes time, right? And I think so often, I know for myself as a parent, um, if I'm tired, if I have a lot to do, and even though we, we sort of have more time and less time here in pandemic, we don't have to commute, but there's all kinds of extra adaptations and responsibilities layered in. Um, there's a temptation to take the shortcut to kind of go to judgment to, or to fix it ourselves. And that repair work is slow work. It involves like with younger children getting down on their level, talking it through, saying what you see, engaging them, engaging their kind of agency and, and effort to make the repairs. And so up front, it's a lot more work, but it probably pays off down the line to take it slow. Yeah. I'm just thinking, I don't think I've ever really thought of it the way that you put it, Amelia, which I think is so true that when kids are younger, as with many things, it's apologizing, teaching them to apologize is a bit more concrete the repair is obvious, right? You broke your brother's Lego set. The repair is literally rebuilding or putting back the Lego set. And then as our kids get older, it becomes so much more abstract on both ends. And I think that's more challenging. I know for me as a parent of a teenager, it's more challenging for me too to model true apology because it is more abstract or it is a bit more complicated. It's so much harder to, um, you talk about in the book, not go to the but, right? I'm, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that. That was a hurtful thing. But I was really annoyed at you because X, Y, Z. <laughs> it's so challenging to have that kind of restraint and not feel the need to point out why you, why I as a parent misbehaved. <laughs> but just to apologize for misbehaving. Yes. And I think that's, that's what I think we're at in our parenting stage, similar to exactly what you're saying of modeling the apology itself and, and not the but. So, you know, yesterday my daughter came in and I was working and uh, at home and she came in and she had a story she wanted to tell me about school. Um, and I heard her feelings because I didn't switch tasks immediately. You know, I just, I couldn't. That's my, that's a struggle for me. And you know, I didn't quite fully listen to that story. And so the repair work for that later was, was both modeling, like, this is how you apologize without saying, but you interrupted me. <laughs> right. um, because it wasn't like, I wasn't on a zoom call and she didn't mean to interrupt me. It just, it, it, those family dynamics are harder to navigate because we don't have boundaries <laughs> anymore the same way that we're, you know, there's just more room to hurt one another. And then also modeling that being willing to let go, you know, our, we struggle with keeping on top of her schoolwork and, you know, and it's just, it would be so easy sometimes for me to just want to hammer at like how important it is that you need to be responsible for your schoolwork and, you know, <laughs> and modeling instead, like I'm on your side and I'm not, I'm not mad at you, but we have to figure out something that works better than what is happening right now. So two of the practices you talk about really concretely in your book are practicing Sabbath as a family and silence. And you think Sabbath might come more easily in COVID, um, but, you know, I heard it said, I don't, 
work from home. I live in my workplace. <laughs> so there's the bleed. You said, you know, there's no boundaries anymore. Um, literally, I'm waiting for my husband to knock on the wall because we're all having a good time over here and I don't have my headphones in. So how, <laughs> how do we establish boundaries around busyness and rest um, when there's so few boundaries? And how do we make spaces for silence in in these times when um, in these very noisy times? Do you have ideas for us and for eager parents out there? Yeah, I think you know, early on for, for me, it did seem like Sabbath came a little easier earlier on in the pandemic. It did seem like people were better able to tap into like, oh, this is a time of rest. And now exactly like you're saying, it's like all the jigsaw sold out early on. That's right. That's right. And then the gardening supplies and we were, you know, just all reconnecting with these spiritual sides in different ways. And now, um, yeah, it's, it's completely different. It, I love that. We figured out how to be workaholics again. Yes. We've yes. defaulted to that go, go, go mode. Yes. I haven't thought about it that way, but you're right. I still love, you know, I think yesterday in two different meetings I was in because we had a snow day here in New England yesterday. So um, kids were home even more than usual. <laughs> kids who might be in school were home and kids who were home didn't have remote school. And so in multiple meetings that I was in, little ones wandered in and crawled in laps and interrupted. And I, and I love seeing my colleagues, kids, and um, I appreciate appreciate those interruptions, but I think yeah, we've also sort of tipped over time then to saying, well, if we're all here all the time um, with our families and our personal lives, then we're also equally all here all the time with our professional lives. My cousin, I was watching my nephew this morning and supervising his homeschooling while she had an appointment and this and that. And she came over and she said, yeah, I'm, I'm just sick of people expecting a response immediately, you know, whether it's Saturday, Sunday, whenever I get an email and there's just no um, protected time. And to say, I don't work on the weekends seems like such a rebellious thing to do um, that we have slipped back into that. So what do we do? Yeah. I think knowing that we've slipped back into it, we can also know that we can reclaim some of the practices that might have helped us set those boundaries originally. So mm. it was hard, you know, I went back in my family recently back to the idea of, I don't know, every few weeks, I'm not getting this in every week, but we mark off a Friday or a Saturday that we put on everybody's calendar as a do nothing day. That's what we call them in, in my house. And that is a, we're not checking email, you know, we're not, we're being, um, mindful of how we're using technology, you know, for um, as my daughter, especially, but you know, like some of that technology use, I'm not saying that we're not on technology. I guess that's what I'm getting at. Um, but we're mindful of how we're using it and we're not using work. We are not available for work. Um, and also as much as possible, my husband and I are are being mindful of laying off a little bit on the chores, you know, so that we're not interrupting each other's rest or our daughter's rest with the honeydew list and the, you know, because I think that's the other place that we're finding is getting challenging. We are all 
home together all the time. So it's so easy for me to go into my husband's, you know, he's four o'clock, he's winding down his work day and I can hit him with like, here's the chores you (laughs) need to do. Or did you do this at your lunch break or something? So it's like, we're, we're capable of overworking at multiple angles now without these boundaries. I, I have to make a little confession. One of the one of my my fourteen year old daughters and my things. One of our kind of spiritual practices is is um, three minute dance party or danceitation, as we like to call it. It's like part meditation, part dancing. And these days, because like we're all around, and we're all making messes all the time, and I'm kind of a neat nick. Like that's how I get my serenity. We'll put on the music and we'll be like jamming out to Lizzo, and I'll be tidying the living room like thinking she's not noticing as we're dancing. (laughs) Hearing you say this, hearing you say, I love that phrase, not available for work. It's so simple. You know, that's such a simple, clear boundary. Like what if I were able to tell myself, I am not available to tidy. I am going to be wholehearted in my dancing with my 14 year old because someday she's not going to want to do this anymore. Like it's amazing that she wants to do it at 14, that she is willing to let me dance to Lizzo with her. She won't let me dab. She has her own boundaries. I'm not allowed to dab, but <laughs> that not available. It, it reminds me of a phrase. Um, sometimes in parish life, there are people you just can't help. And your, your help, in fact, is not helpful for. And we came up with a phrase um, when we encounter this, my staff and I, to just say, um, I can't help you with that. Like sort of no is a complete sentence. It's a, it's a gentler way of saying that. And mm. that's another boundary we can set around work for people outside of us and for our own selves. Those of us who who do kind of default to the to-do list, you know, who really do find it hard to, to let go and unplug. Speaking of unplugging, Molly. <laughs> it was very apropos. <laughs> it wasn't even anything exciting. Oh, orthodontics can be very exciting and very expensive. Yeah. Um, that's, that's exactly the moment we're in, how to finance the orthodontia. I love that um, statement. And it, and it sort of loops in, I think you were talking about this in the book, Amelia, more about apologizing or accepting apologies. That so much of it, I think, too, has to do with kind of tone of voice and sort of um, softening these phrases that maybe because of a lot of the baggage we carry sound harsh to us, right? That to hear from someone who you see as a helper, that's not something I can help you with, could feel really harsh or it sounds harsh to say it because it goes against some expectation we have of how things are supposed to go. Um, But it's really not a harsh thing to say. It's an honest thing to say if someone is asking you to go outside of your scope and asking you to do something that, like you said, Molly, trying to help or fix is actually not helpful. It's counter to that goal. I think it came up in the book um, around our tendency when people write apologize to us, the way we accept is to say, it's okay, but it's not okay. So to, re- to refrain from saying, it's okay, not to dismiss what happened, but instead to say, I accept your apology. Thank you. Um, and that a lot of it has to do with that tone of voice and, and the mood and the feeling around what you say. To, to, to say, you know, I'm, I'm sorry, that's not something I can help you with um, can be really powerful 
too. I'm and I'm going to steal it totally because I'm feeling the same thing. Sort of Amelia, when you were talking about um, trying to hold back on the the hounding about the schoolwork and the grades, I think I am certainly feeling that myself, um, and I'm definitely seeing it in so many parents because, especially parents of high schoolers, have a front row seat to what their child is and isn't doing in terms of schoolwork much more so than usual. And it's so hard to hold back. Um, and so I've had a, a couple of parents recently who I think are asking me to fix something that I cannot help with or that is outside my scope of practice, right? That they want me to help with the organization or the how to get them to care more about their grades or stay on top of things. And so me sort of having to say, I'm not a tutor. That's not my job. That's not my goal or my aim. You brought them to me because they were struggling and they were overwhelmed. And maybe I have helped with that. It might be at the expense of a goal you had for them. Um, but I can't help you with that. I'm sorry. I'm going to steal that. (laughs) The other spiritual practice I'd love to hear you talk about is silence. And can you describe how you talked about it in in your book? Yeah. When I talked about silence in the book, I was, of course, playing with silence as a way that we connect with God and with our internal, you know, most rich spiritual selves. But I was also playing with the just um, stress that noise can cause. Um, Noise as a physical thing can, you know, raise cortisol levels. and, And we see this in places where there's like noise pollution especially. And so thinking about what is that like in our houses, how much just noise is going on. And for sure we are experiencing that now just, you know, we can hear each other all the time. I can hear my husband's meetings. It's, it's so funny. Um, The COVID relief package, noise canceling headphones. Yes. I was saying that my nephew was here this morning for uh, supervising his homeschooling. <laughs> my, he came in and, you know, my cousin's unpacking his backpack and telling me, here's his English. Here's, and she pulls out these two giant wooden sticks and she says, he has music today. <laughs> so he has his instrument, which they're these percussion sticks that he has to bang together and tap, tap, tap. And he was on with his music teacher and um, she's having them do some kind of vocal exercise. And my husband was in the other room and I could hear him saying in his meeting, what is that background noise? Does someone have something, you know, is someone's microphone not on right or something? I had to stick my head in and say, it's us, it's Eli and his music lesson. <laughs> you know, it's just so loud, so loud. <laughs> yeah, that's it exactly. And like I know what coworkers my husband doesn't has a harder time working with because I hear like <laughs> him say their names over and over again. You know, so all this stuff that we're just aware of. Um we have really cut down a lot of noise in like common areas of the house and not even on purpose. It's just happened, you know, so where 
I used to get up in the morning and I would turn on a podcast or some music and kind of be puttering around doing my own, like that's not happening anymore. And we, and I'm seeing that for my husband and my daughter too. Like we're just, I think naturally gravitating towards making more space for quiet where we can. Um, And I think some of that comes from practice of, you know, recognizing like, oh, um, I'm feeling really antsy right now. And I think it's because I've been listening to the radio all day, you know, and it was fun at first, but now it's not. So we've kind of learned how to tap into that and recognize that. And then I think there's also just, again, that forgiveness element and being willing to um, say what we need and to accept that. From somebody else. So like yesterday, my husband was going to go for a walk and I grabbed my shoes and I was like, great, I'll go with you. And he had this look on his face. Exactly. Like he was trying to figure out and he finally said, I think I just need to go by myself. And and that was great for him to say. And it was also good for me to to not be upset about that, you know, to be like, Oh, great. Enjoy, you know? So, yeah. So those, those two things around um, being mindful of our noise and also just being more willing to say what we need and to accept that my daughter will say, can you guys just go somewhere? (laughs) (laughs) For silence. That's right. Um, what about our younger kids? I mean, do, do, do you think they need silence and, and how do we invite them into that? I think that they do. And I think um, temperament, of course, is part of that. Some kids need more than others. And we are, I will say, we are very lucky in that in my family, we are all pretty temperamentally the same in terms of our needs. And that helps a lot. Like that, that just helps. Um, I, but I think even, even if you are a parent who needs more quiet and you have a kid who needs more activity, I think there's still space to um, both invite them into silence, even if it's just, let's just sit here for 60 seconds and see what we hear, or let's just take a walk together and, you know, see what we notice as a way of beginning to invite them into that practice. That's not like punitive and boring. <laughs> like go to your room and be quiet for five minutes. Um, and then also again, back to that modeling, I, I do think it's okay to say, I just need a few minutes of quiet. Can we all just be quiet for five minutes or whatever is appropriate for you know, your kiddo's age. And, and that's not like an immediate answer because it does build and kids do grow. And I mean, I have so been there where I just need the quiet right now. And I just know, like, I'm not getting it because I've got all these people in my house and, you know, my daughter's three and um, you just kind of cultivate it as much as you can. And I have so much sympathy for people in that right now when we are all on top of each other and and it's hard to even hire a babysitter and go for a walk like you know yeah hiring a babysitter has a whole host of ethical and health considerations right i think you say in the book amelia whatever your motto is whatever works works or (laughs) do what do what what works if it works and um 
we have kids with two very different temperaments when it comes to quiet. Um, and I think also just naming that can be really helpful. So in our family, we sort of tease the little one that he's always talking, that he never stops talking. Um, and the way we sort of deal with that is he, he equally will never stop. He, he so never stops talking that if he's outside playing by himself and you watch him, you'll see his lips are moving or you stick your head outside. Like he, he's still talking, um, but he has sort of adapted to know that sometimes maybe his brother wants to be alone and he needs to go find something to do on his own. And his brother is going to be alone in quiet and he's going to go be alone in his own chatter. And, um, but we, but we name it all the time. You know, we talk about it as a family. It's just kind of a known that this is who they are. And it's not a, it's not a good thing or a bad thing, a plus or a minus. It just is what it is. And so each person might need something a little different. Um, whatever works, works, right? However, you can find that silence that works for an individual person. It's hard to quantify, but I really do wonder because of how long it's been, how much more emotionally intelligent the pandemic has made us. Mm. Rather than just having the same fights over and over, we've had to we've had to deconstruct them. We've had to reverse engineer, like why does this keep happening? And we have to, Amelia, like you said, you know, identify what our needs are, state them in a calm non-judgmental, non-shaming way, hear each other, try not to get our feelings hurt, try not to get butt hurt when someone sets a limit for us. Um, I do, you know, I often say, you know, God didn't send the disaster, but God will use it. And I do think that is one of the gifts of how long this pandemic is, is it really has forced a lot of changes in behaviors and, and habits, you know, sort of shortcuts and bad habits we've had. Yeah. And for people to reckon with the things that maybe they realize aren't going to change. I mean, we're hearing that certainly in, in relationships where people are deciding, oh, we do keep having this fight over and over. And when we deconstruct it, we find there is no repair for this. And so the repair is to go our separate ways. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know if either of you listen to Esther Perel. I love Esther Perel. Some people are splitting up in pandemic, some people are having babies. Then there's the people who are splitting up and find themselves pregnant. <laughs> it's like clarifying, but not always in the way you might expect. Um, Amelia, um, speaking of what the pandemic's revealing, what has it revealed about your own parenting and or pastoring? What, what positive or negative? What have you learned about yourself in this time? Yeah, what, what you just said about going... Um, kind of the capacity to become more emotionally intelligent. And that's one aspect that we've reflected on as a family of like, oh, we are learning how to work these things out differently. Um, and that is helpful. And I think in that has deepened relationships. And I think I've also, we've our communication skills have, have evolved around that. And, and my daughters have too, you know, and part of that is that she's gotten older in this. She's a year older now than she was when this started. So her skills were going to advance anyway, but um, that's been a piece that has been, yeah, kind of a gift of this time. Um, I think, you know, we do a lot of just kind of humor in, in my family and, and that is a way of tapping into things and, and earlier on, um, when the stress was new and so much was changing, you know, we were having to adapt to church life. And then I was writing this book and we were just really stressed. Um, time was short. We were time stressed. 
it felt like that kind of humor element went away for a bit. You know, I tapped into like the snappy, I've got to get things done. This is what I'm doing. This is how it's going to happen. And so, but as that humor piece has come back, um, that's been interesting, you know, to reflect on and to see. And we have this joke in my family now because um, we realize that there are sometimes we're just irritating each other and it's just our existence is irritating each other. It's not. <laughs> yes. So we'll say, you know, my daughter will come down and she'll be like, can you stop? Like you are existing. I'm not going to stop existing just for you, but I can go somewhere else and exist there. But it's also like the the humor is really all that needed to come out of it because she says that and and it makes us all laugh and you know that releases some of that and then we're all fine again. So those kind of family things, that little in jokes and things that have come up, uh, that's been a positive piece. That's yeah. come out of it. Um, negative. I mean, I've alluded to both of this. It's hard for me to, I like to sit down to do something and get it done. So the snappiness that can come out for me when I am like interrupted and, and again, I have an older child. I'm not even being interrupted all the time. Um, you know, that's an element that I am getting to learn to work on <laughs> during this. We all have our spiritual work cut out for us. Yes. All learning what our edges are if we were not aware of them before. That's right. Well, Amelia, anything else you want to talk about that we, that we didn't get to or that you want to let our listeners know about? Oh, I mean, I'm excited to be out and around kind of talking about this book and, and I'm doing book talks around it. So that's fun. And please look me up. and So I, people can find The Hopeful Family on Amazon, I assume, in different places, but where is there a specific place they should look for you on social media or a website or anywhere? Yeah, my website's ameliadress.com. Um, on social media, on Instagram and Facebook, I'm at Amelia Richardson Dress on both of those. So those are great, great places to, to find me there. And, and yeah. I'd love to hear back from people as well. So you don't even just have to find me and like lurk. Lurkers <laughs> <laughs> welcome as well, but lurkers welcome as well. Yes, that's like a great book for churches for you know parent groups at churches to read as a church community. Um, great action oriented. Like I said, I love that it's built around spiritual practices, things that families can try doing and then feeling the effects of, you don't need a lot of preparation or um, experience or knowledge, just kind of your own uh, sense of yourself and family and put them into practice. I really enjoyed it. Well, thanks for coming, Amelia. Thanks for having me. God be with you and blessings on your book and on your family and on your pastoring and everything you have going on over there. Yeah, both of you two as well. 